Hello and welcome to Demo Tapes, a music podcast which hits rewind on the careers of some of the world's biggest bands to reminisce about their breakout moments. I'm Rick Martin and this, my companion and co-host on this trip down memory lane, is Sarah Jane Kemp. Hi guys, um, nice to nice to see you all again. Uh, just have to kind of have a little break here because we this is going to be a bonus episode. We're putting this out early, aren't we Rick? It is, yes. Yeah. So we, we obviously last week episode one was... Arctic Monkeys, and we promised there would be a side B to that. And there is a side B, so don't worry that, that is, tomorrow, tomorrow, don't miss out on that one. That is coming this week, but uh, actually the way that um, things have run with this, I guess, is that you know we launched last week, we've been going out and doing fresh interviews for future podcasts, and I had the chance to go and interview Glass Vegas uh, over the weekend uh, in, at their, uh, on the UK tour, the, the Brighton date of their UK tour, and... Some of the stuff we got in that interview was so good, we thought we don't want to hold this back for six weeks. You know, they're yeah, on. we have to, we have to, we have to do it now. I think that's going to be the nature of this podcast a little bit. You know, we went in thinking we've got a plan of exactly how we want to execute it, but I think the nature of the music industry and also being a bit in a creative world, I guess, is the, things happen, exciting things happen, and I'm pretty excited about this. As I'm sure you are, Rick, because Rick was the one who went and did the interview. Sadly, I couldn't go because I was back in the New Rave hometown of Nottingham for the weekend. Um, New Rave is coming up in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, so Rick, Rick was the one that did it. But I, I'm excited because I, I know that Glass Vegas were around about a decade ago. And to be honest, it, it wasn't, I, I didn't listen to them a lot, but they were everywhere and they were definitely on everyone's lips. And they kind of just disappeared slightly. And, and they were one of those bands that were kind of tipped to be to be massive um but yeah what i'm sure you and talked they, about this in the interview so what and they were briefly i guess you know um this tour that they're on at the moment is a 10th anniversary tour of their debut album their self-titled um debut album and they're one of those bands uh, and i'll say this in the interview a little bit later on they were an overnight success that were five years in the making and 2008 really was a big year for them you know they got to number two in the album charts with that album they were kind of everywhere on kind of festival bills and that sort of thing they signed a massive record deal with columbia records but then they did kind of seem to fall off the face of the earth a little bit especially if you know their second album came out and they got dropped a few weeks after that came out so really it was an interesting one for me it's a great time 10 years on from that to speak to their singer james Alan about you know kind of what what happened next? You know, how did this this gang of you know, and, and they are a proper rock and roll gang for me. This this gang of <laughs> Scottish um, musicians. Um, how did they go from from kind of nowhere to somewhere to then kind of going to nowhere again? And I th- but you you interviewed them, didn't you? Around about ten years ago. So this is a really nice follow on a decade later. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. What did you talk about in your first interview? This was friend of me, I guess. It was right? friend of me. So I remember it was uh, as part of a live review. We did kind of backstage interviews as part of the live reviews as well. And it was all. This was around the time they were breaking through. It was one of their first UK tours. They were playing at Sheffield Plug. And this, this again, is it's a little bit what this whole podcast is about. That excitement of a, of a new band emerging. Yeah. And, w- and when they emerged, actually, they were. I think what was great about them, they were so fully formed. You know, they, they looked great. They looked like a proper rock and roll gang. You know, they had um, not just one great track or two great tracks. They kind of had a whole set of tracks. And they didn't sound like anyone else around at the time. You know, you think I think of Las Vegas as kind of being that mix between kind of My Bloody Valentine, kind mm. of guitar feedback, a little bit of primal scream in there. Another, you know, obviously Bobby Gillespie being Scottish. But a little bit of kind of almost 60s girl group stuff yeah. and kind of garage rock. So yeah, you interviewed them and you you also wrote about them at the time. So what did you actually write about? So yeah, this was one of my more kind of gushing praise sort of uh, sort of reviews. And a line from this actually ended up getting quoted quite a lot in the subsequent year. So I said, if the Libertines define the start of the decade, and the Arctic Monkeys its middle, then Las Vegas were almost certainly going to define its end and, and beyond. And it was one of those predictions that maybe didn't quite come as true as, as everyone was expecting. They definitely defined 2008, 2009. But yeah, but I the think... Beyond bit's quite interesting there, I think, because they might be back with a bang now. And, and it seems to me, you know, they might be. They very much might be. Yeah, so that's what I would say about the the gig I went to see in, in Brighton over the weekend. Again, it was, you know, re- revisiting their debut album. They did some tracks in the encore from their subsequent albums, uh, Euphoric Heartbreak and uh, later when the TV turns to static but um you know there was there was it well, they weren't as great in brighton a, a friend of mine jamie crossan who also worked for the enemy was kind of like the scottish version of me went to see them in london on friday night as well um okay and apparently this the crowd was so, so loud he was there can, on saturday he was well, there on yeah. friday oh, okay. and i was there on saturday Sorry. apparently the sound of the crowd singing the songs back at them actually broke the decibel levels that the venue was supposed, oh, to, no supposed to have yeah 
Um, wow. and, and everyone's kind of talking about them and um, again, you know, and I think probably the most interesting thing that came out of the interview with with James, obviously the idea was to go back over um, their beginning stages and, and kind of what they've been up to since, but um, they've actually been recording a brand new album. Um, Which is exclusive. Well done, Rick. Yeah, no, no one knows <laughs> no about one this No one else yet. knows about this, it, He actually said it was the first time they'd spoken about it. Um, and, you know, that that's probably the bit of the interview I think perhaps fans may find um, the most intriguing. Um, when's, it, to... when's it out? When's it going to be out? Did he make a nod to that, or are they just saying they're recording at the moment? They're, they've been recording recently. I think the idea was it was going to come out by the end of this year, but because this uh, they're doing the 10th anniversary and they're kind of doing that, it's pushed it back in into into next year. I mean, details in terms of release and label and that sort of thing are a bit sketchy at the moment. Yeah. But um, stay tuned for the interview for right kind of probably the last ten minutes of the interview, where we've got we know what the title is, we know what the theme of the album is, which sounds really interesting. But I don't want to give too much of that no. away. So you're going to listen to it now. But I mean, shall we? Shall we just go straight in and listen to it? Because I mean, we 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 can probably talk about all of all sorts of other things and we can probably do a side b at another point if it gets to that point you know if the, when the album comes out maybe we can revisit this but i think for this you know it's a bonus episode it's not necessarily so much about our stories we wanted to bring this exclusive to you so should we just go and listen to it yeah here Let's we go it. so yeah i'm backstage with james alone how you doing my man very good and um, we're in uh, hove's old market not brighton hove it seems to be quite clear around here that it's hove um before uh, the latest date on the tour of Las Vegas's 10-year anniversary tour of their uh, critically acclaimed self-titled debut album. Um, so I guess it was an obvious decision to go and do a, a tour 10 years off from the debut album. What kind of, what kind of sparked that? Um, it was really, it wasn't really a plan to do this. I think it was just, maybe somebody came up with the idea, that maybe, you know, a few months ago, I don't know. I don't know how long ago it was, but... I think we were going to be bringing out a new album. We we're going to hope that we we're going to be finished by now. Um, and um, we were still like kind of planning on bringing out our album, our new album this year. But then we thought it's just going to be a wee bit to maybe I don't know, like you know, give the new songs maybe a, a chance. I know getting like caught up in the middle of this thing as well. But I can't remember how long it was, but somebody had the idea. But I always imagine these things to happen when like you're dead or something, you know what I mean, or like, not after 10 years anyhow, you know, that's quite soon, I don't really know, maybe a lot of bands do 10 years, I'm not sure, but uh, but normally they're like 20 or at least something like that, or, I don't know, do you know any of the other bands that have done 10 years, like a 10 year thing? To be honest, it's quite a common thing for, for 10 years, for 10, for 10 years. Yeah, I think you do see quite a lot of bands do, because I think it's as well, it's a chance to revisit an album, totally. play it in full, isn't it? I know, totally, I guess it is, and it's, it's, I guess why not, you know what I mean? Why not like uh, shine a, a torch onto a bunch of songs and see what happens, you know what I mean? Um, because it's a, it's a thing, man, it's like, there's maybe always some kid here or there that's never heard of the band, you know? I guess it's, it's a bunch of good songs and stuff and you're sort of trying to remind somebody or introduce somebody to them, it's, uh, it's good. And is it a different feeling, you know, often you get to 10 years into your career, your sets would be a mix of songs. And I know last night in London you did do a few from uh, your second and third mm. album, but is it is it a different feeling to go up and, and play pretty much a straight set of, of debut album songs where obviously you've evolved as, a, as an artist musically over the 10 years? Mm. Um, it seems, to me, it seems really quite natural. Um, it seems really, really natural. I mean... I wonder how other bands feel about play with if they played the full. I mean, these songs seem to they seem to join together like really naturally. You know what I mean? Because um, you said at the time you were making an album, not a set of tracks. I remember that being one of the quotes you said. So it's interesting that you say that. I I so I mean maybe more than probably a lot of other albums. Maybe this one that, that you know maybe this is made for this kind of thing. I think it is actually. I think it's. I guess it's definitely made for it. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, it feels a wee bit more like, I mean, it's rock and roll, but it feels a wee bit more like, uh, I don't know, a movie or some kind of theatre type thing. I mean, especially mm. when it gets to like the point where it's stabbed, then stabbed and it's sort of the Beethoven thing. And I forget sometimes I'm in a band at that point and I don't normally feel like that. And I don't know if it's because of the, 
is it if it's the songs and order that allows you then it's the you're you're the, the you're, you're not breaking the dream you, you know you're starting and then you're just getting deeper into the the thing whereas you know normally a gig you'd be maybe mixing up different songs mm. um but there's quite a consistent and quite a clear and strong power to to the, the that collection of songs you know what i mean yeah yeah so it's it's been really good and I don't know, I mean, you, you never, you, there's different parts of it each night playing the songs as well that you feel is maybe some, it's like maybe there's a missed opportunity just in a really subtle detail or something, just you feel maybe yourself and then there's all these other sides to the show that you think, fuck, that, that seems like the best it's ever felt, this, this, you know, and you always feel that you're, I don't know, you're just, Although you've played these songs before lots of times, but you're still really, you're always kind of getting to know them somehow mm. and in some mm. way, um, you know. But the, I think that the one thing that's probably not changed in time is the, is maybe the weight of the songs. Because I, if I, like for other band, for, for other artists and it, you know, it just so happens, maybe it's just luck and stuff like that with us, but I think that sometimes if you were to, Sing about maybe certain things in your first record because this is um, it's like you know maybe it's you know you see we have like a band that would maybe have a record out and then as time moves on then they're maybe kind of figuring a few things out and maybe it's a, a more older kind of album but I think it was quite a it wasn't the normal but a first band uh, sentiment on the on the thing I don't think. It did sound very, very fully formed. I think that's what a lot of people said when you came out of that record. It almost sounded like a record you'd come out, maybe as your third album, uh, in kind of how fully, uh, yeah, kind yeah, of how fully realised it was. But then, and this kind of leads me into kind of where I wanted to go with, with, with this chat, I guess, of looking back on your formative years. You were an overnight success that were five years in the making, essentially, weren't you? <laughs> you know, the album maybe came out in, you know, in 2008, but you, know, you formed in 2003, that was five years the mm. making. I mean, when you ca- I mean, just to kind of cast your mind back, and I know you've spoken about this this before, but it's interesting, I suppose, with the, the kind of benefit of hindsight and stuff. Mm. That transition from being a footballer, you know, mm. pro footballer in Scotland, into into being in a band with your cousin Rab. Mm. I mean, was I've always been interested of, of what that because obviously the the difference when you have siblings or cousins who form bands is. I mean, you could have been in a band when you were five, six, you know, Aye. ten. So what, what was the real spark for you? Because that's a very unusual career choice to go from pro football to to, to music. So what, what was the catalyst for that, do you think? Um, to me, it was really quite... Uh, I never think it been it's you. You don't think about it as being in any way unusual, although obviously when I played football then that, that was, I knew it was, I knew it was a bit different or something, but... Um, a lot of it was, it was really, and I'm stating the obvious here, but it was just instinct. It was, if I just let instinct kind of take us along, like, and uh, I mean, luck was a big part because rap, I mean, what do you call it? Luck or destiny, fate, whatever. Rap got a guitar. I, mean, I hadn't spoke to him for a couple of weeks, and I got a guitar as well. Well, Denise's, Denise got a guitar. And I was just like, what the fuck is this thing? Rubbish guitar. Mm. And then I then I eventually picked it up and then I told Rab, I've been playing a guitar and he says, oh, I've been playing a guitar. <laughs> and it but that it was quite like but then we did see Oasis on uh, Top of the Pops and and I think at that point I was both of us knew that that's what we wanted to do. We wanted that kind of thing and and um and it wasn't, it was just like, it was all quite, you know, I, I wasn't a singer, I wasn't a songwriter, but he didn't want to write songs, he didn't want to sing. I didn't want to sing either, but I was like, somebody had to sing. Paul wouldn't sing either. So it's just like, right, I'll sing. And um, I remember my friend's uh, sister coming in to watch his practice, and I, I couldn't, I was like, no, I can't practice, if like, it's funny, hell. Mm. I didn't sing in front of him. Do you know what I was mm. not a singer, do you mm. know what I mean? So I was just too shy to, to do it, but they were even more shy than me, kind of thing. So it was, in a way, 
Um, it was kind of like, no, it was kind of planned in the way that, well, that's how we dreamt it when we saw Top of the Pops, but there really wasn't such a plan as well, like in terms of how we viewed ourselves, you know what I mean, as musicians or, I think Rab's always looked at himself at a lead guitar player though. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, if you to look at the pair, he was he's the obvious lead guitar player and the obvious. I, I mean, I'm. I, I don't know what it is. I just I've never been natural with the guitar, and when we've been growing up, there's been certain things that I felt quite natural with, uh, like playing football and all these different things. So when the both of us picked up a guitar, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to be playing the guitar just like you know, this and this and this, and it's going to be so much fun on that and. And then, like, about so many months later, I turned around and Rab was playing, like, all the Oasis songs, like, all the lead solos to all the songs, every part, and I was just like, how can I not do that? And then it was like, we got, like, uh, the same amplifier, and we turned it up, up full, two of them up full, and mine sounded rubbish, and it sounded really good, so I, I was like, I forget, it was just my luck to get the shitty amp, he's got the good amp, and then... After a while later, we get the same amp again, not better amps, it was like maybe a mm. t- twin reverb or something. And I was like, why have I get the fucking shitty amp again? And then then it, the penny dropped, it wasn't the amp, it was him. He was like, uh, when he was playing something, and he's still like this, it's like, uh, he will be, I'll make up all the arrangements to the songs, and then, but when I get to him, to play, and then he makes it believable, and he, or he'll say, he'll take my part, and then he'll say, you can believe this, you can trust this, this is the truth, mm, mm. and that's not the way I play, you know what I mean? And but, but I reckon that's probably being cousins as well, is that you do implicitly trust each other, don't you? Aye, 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 but when he plays it though, it's like, it's something, it sounds more like the truth. You know what I mean, and uh, so because you know, but I, I guess I make up the parts and all that. But that, so I guess that works quite, quite good. It works quite good in the way that I guess he feels quite loved when it comes to what he does. You know what I mean? Because I'm I admire what, what he does, and I always love. Even you know when I first walked into like a hall and he was he had an amplifier and it was like a school like dinner hall thing. Mm. And that's where we're like, kind of like, that's where we could play loud in this school dinner hall, like at the weekends or something. And I could just walk through a, a door and then hear the echo coming through like the hall. And I'd get, be getting closer, then walk through another door and it'd get louder again. And it was so fucking exciting, man. And and he'd be playing maybe like, you know, it could have been uh, Pink Floyd thing or like, like uh, Made of Stone or something, or some Stone Roses thing. Or, and it just sounded that uh, I was to- I totally admired that. And I knew that it is I can't dance and I can't you know, if I go up high in the guitar I feel like I'm gonna get a nosebleed or something. Mm. I'm standing on the edge or something, it's like <laughs> too steep or something. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, and I guess when it's came to the songs I think he's always he's always been really um not like excitable in a in a way that's He's just, there's a certain, I've always felt like he's totally believed in uh, the ideas and and I think that's been such a big part of the band's momentum, you know, this sort of a, that trust thing I guess and, and, and the encouragement I think is a big part, you know. Uh, and was that helping, because you mentioned before that you you were nervous to sing in front of mm. two people. Mm-hmm. Did he help you find your voice? How did you discover that you had that voice? You know? Oh, I didn't. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't really. I probably still don't know a lot about it. I don't. It's not. It's weird. I guess I'm really confident when it comes to singing in the way, but it's not. It's not confident. Like, I feel the confidence. Like, uh, like. Um, like I don't mind being naked, it's not that, it's not that kind of problem, it's just like, uh, it's like, I guess I understand or I, uh, I understand and I sympathise completely with the, the way that I sound and I know that with anybody singing the songs, if it was anybody else, it would be different. But the only problem would be, no matter who it was in the world or who it was in 
history or whatever that was singing the songs. The only problem would be that, that they wouldn't be me. And for the good or the bad, it's I'm you know I'm me. So it's like uh, I've always when it comes to singing these songs, I guess I've always it's just meant to be like that. I don't really know if I could go in any other band and sing. I don't know how that would, if that would work, but for Class Vegas songs, I think um, that's perfect, you know what I mean? But I've never really thought in the past about being a singer. And I think even when we made our first album, I never then either. Um, I'd probably just be trying to do it the best I could. Like, you know what I mean? Just in mm. instinct, really, mm. you know what I mean? And when you think about the kind of emergence of the band, you know, we've talked there how, you know, it was you and Rapper Cousins, and that's how, that's how you'd know each other, and you kind of left the football behind. But then when you kind of go into the kind of 2004 becomes 2005 becomes 2006. Um, and I, you know, I'll be honest, I went back and I looked look through the history and it looked to me like a real turning point was when, obviously Alan McGee saw you play at, at King Tut's. Mm -hmm. A little yeah. bit of symmetry there with obviously I think so. Oasis. I think, I, well. I know, weird, I know. Uh, was, he was just in town, it was uh, Carol, Dirty Pretty Things were recording, I think, something in Glasgow, and then that's why he was there kind of thing. Um, I know, weird, it's kind of, it's funny how things work out, but I, it was, that was, because that was the end, when when I met Alan that night, well, I'd met Alan maybe a few nights before this, but I remember standing in a car park at King Tut's, and it was just, Pissing the rain, I'm standing there with a fucking amplifier in the back trying to get in, standing there like, and I remember uh, being on the phone to my manager for the football and he was just mm. saying don't come back, basically, and then I hung up and I was just like, fuck, it's like, you know, and then basically just for walking in through the back and get down the stairs and putting the amplifier on and playing the gig, and then McGee walked down like through the, the audience to the side, uh, the stage and say that was fucking amazing and it's weird how it's weird how just being up the stairs like an hour and a half before it it's funny how this things just look so different that's unbelievable isn't it i mean it's a lot of, for a lot of people leaving football it it ruins them I know. you know kids who get in at chelsea get dropped from the team at 19 and they never get picked up I in know. the lower league so for that to happen on the same night it's almost like a film i, I, I know I, I know it's hard not to do you know what I mean? My mum's always like, that's a saying, that's a thing. Do you know what I mean? It's hard not to, it's hard not to think something. But I think that a part of it is probably, it's luck and all that kind of thing. It is, it's so much luck, man. And and I've been so, so, so lucky. But I think a part of that has probably been something to do with I'm a bit of a dreamer. And, I, and I've got an enthusiasm or like a love, like a chord, the way it would move. like. You know, I would listen to like uh, the first tape that I ever bought was Bruce Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia. So it was the first ever music that I bought and and um it was like I was embarrassed to get it in front of my mum. My mum was in Asda and I was so embarrassed to get it because I didn't want her to think that I liked music because I was too embarrassed for anybody mm. to know that I liked mm. music. And uh, so I got this tape and I went home and I listened to it and it was like one part in the middle of the song and it was just a chord, the way it moved from that to that, and then I'd rewind it, play, rewind, play, and I would do this like a hundred times, no, I'm no joking. And I think just that sort of a, I don't know, just, I guess really, I just love certain, certain things, just passionate, a bit of a dreamer, sense of wonder. You know, it was lux that, that all that happened in the nights, but I, th I guess just that sense of wonder to see Top of the Pops, to to actually write my own songs, and not really know you're getting totally blind because it's like, who am I? Mm. What's my personality? What's my taste? What have I got to say? Anything? Do I need to say anything? Do I want to say anything? There's all these different questions, and then having, a, I think, uh, like a machine at home that I could record with, when I never really knew anything. It was, I, hadn't, I needed to do that because I had no money and stuff like that. So it was just, uh, having no money was such a uh, an advantage because if I had money, I'd have probably just 
went along with the way it would be. You went to a studio and somebody records a demo, but I wouldn't have a clue who I am, but my mm. it's my voice, I've no found my voice or whatever. So so because I've no the money then I've had to like be doing it at home, you know what I mean? And and just and, and then doing that but and then the football sacking me is another advantage because then I, I'm not like dipping my toe into two things that you've got to be you've got to be all, all in with football mm. and you've got to be mm. all in with music. You can't you can't just be in both of them or you know. The only one I think who broke that rule was a guy called uh he played for Nottingham Forest in the nineties, he was in a band called Merck. Paul McGregor. Alright. But he's the only one I can think of that did both. And I don't think he, he don't think he played many games for Nottingham Forest either, so I I know. I don't think Merck did a lot either. I think but like to make an album even like the one that we made, I don't I, I don't know if I would have ever made that album if I'd have been playing football because it came through probably a lot of, I mean, just, you know, quite difficult things. No difficult in a way that is unique to a lot, the way a lot of people live. Um, but, but just, like, you know, quite basic difficulties, you know, no electricity, no this, no, like, no having things. and But having the, and lon- the, the isolation or the loneliness to actually, it wasn't something that I would have, really gladly embraced at the time, but I think not actually having any contact with any, many human beings at all really at the time. That silence, and you thinking and thinking and thinking, and then the paper there, and you, you, you kind of put ink on the paper, and then you've got something, and you've got, you've got a microphone there, and if there would have been money, and if there'd have been company sitting around, if there'd have been all these things that probably uh, would have been better or like a better, but it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, it was all the things that I never had mm. and it was probably the lack of, I mean you probably heard before, it was lack of, lack of technical awareness in certain ways, it was, was, was a good thing, you know what I mean, and so I guess it's all the, looking back at it, a lot of the things, a lot of the, a lot of the rejection or the, the, the kind of things that are like the hard times kind of thing. It was they they were a lot of the advantages and the things that probably defined that album in a way. And then I guess with the songs as well, you know, so it comes f- from pain or it comes from feeling some kind of. And that's why it feels real. You listen to it, it feels like it's from the heart. I know. I and in terms of your breakthrough, I'm just I'm trying to uh, trying to get this kind of positive history right. You know, you came McGee brought you to London. Mm-hmm. You did some club nights in London, and then I feel like from there, that's where I started hearing the name Las Vegas. Mm. Uh, and you know, and then Tim Jones saw you at one of those gigs. Oh, I met him. Someone I knew from from my days at NME, oh, yeah. and put your your first single out. So, what are your kind of memories of, of the point where you'd gone from recording this stuff in your bedroom, whatever, in, mm. in you know back home in Scotland, mm-hmm. to then you getting a, a small label deal with Tim, and then eventually, obviously, where that goes is to is to signing a full fully blown deal with Columbia. So. What are your memories of kind of that time where it started to really kind of take off? Uh, the memories are, let me see. The memories are, half of me was really confused, really surprised. And because it's work, it's, it's something, it's going, it's something positive. <laughs> it's no rejection, it's no, it's, it's, it's working. Something is working here. There's a part of me that's really confused at that, probably. Uh, part of me, probably. Even if it fell apart, even at that point, at least I would have had that, which was more than what I'd had in the past. Mm. So, you know what I mean? It's like, there was another, then the other half of me, but wasn't confused at, at all. The other half of me was really, it was so familiar. It was so familiar that somebody said, I believe in this or whatever, and I think that that was just because that was the way I dreamt it to be. So that was familiar, because that's the way I would always dream it to be. So I was like, oh, this is familiar, but that was only because of my, that, that was the way I, I fantasised about it being like that. Mm. Um, I think that the NME, I was, I think it was maybe a, an interview, I don't know if it was in Sweden, I done recently, and I was saying about the NME, it was such a, such a big part of uh, the band being introduced to people and 
be a lot of like a, just a lot of devotion and a lot of uh, some spirit behind it. You know what I mean? And the NME, even in other parts of the world, has always been the place where people go when they want to have the best music and they'll go there. Mm. Even not all of the world, you know what I mean? People turning up with copies of the NME and fucking like, you know, like fucking Tokyo and fucking... Thailand. Aye, yeah. aye. You know, they're, they're so... It was all these different... Alan McGee, we were talking about this actually earlier, with Alan McGee and then with Tim, we all use such a big part then with Columbia, with Ollie and all these things. It was sort of a, like, it was like, contagious. It was like some, I don't know, like uh, people were disbelieving in it, I guess, you know what I mean? And it just seemed to like somebody else then caught that disease that came into our lives and then somebody else did. And then it was like, sort of a, like, a fucking uh, big gang, you know what I mean? But um, and then, but the thing is, it was, I was saying to Denise as well, you know, if if it wasn't for like say the flowers and filter taps and this Munchie and Hart or Geraldine or Daddy's Gone or whatever, we would have only have got to like maybe the door, you know what I mean? It, but it, it, if that, it, even you, you need that, I guess, whatever that thing, you need that song to, you know. But yeah, three or four. That's, I think that's I think that's why I remember when I was on the enemy. The reason the enemy got behind Las Vegas. It's not because you had one. You had a whole set, pretty much. Aye. And then even things like the Ronettes cover, "Be My Baby," mm. just really well chosen as a you know you've only got one album material. What are you going to do? Do a cover. Mm. So and, and I guess you know when that album you know did come out, um, it, it went straight to number number two. I'm right in thinking, Aye, yeah. yeah, I think it was Metallica. That. That kept you off off number uh, one. It was pretty pretty close to the thing. I know. But that's kind of where I think. I think we were meant to be the same week as the mm. and the label like moved it because because they thought maybe we don't want to be in the same week as the and I think we sold about four times what the Valve did that, and we moved it to the same week as Metallica. I don't know. There's some things that I didn't really ever understand, but mm. you know what I mean. The logic behind that, but. Um, well, what are your memories of, of the day, the Sunday, you, you know, you, you get to seven o'clock, you probably, obviously I know that you found out a little bit before that, but you told, you've charted in the top three, in fact you're in the top three, you're in the top two, and this is, you know, a couple of years ago, you were, again you were recording in your bedroom, mm. or you're playing in prisons in Scotland and then you've gone from that to this, how, how, how can you kind of sum up that, that moment where you, it's the cat's out of the bag in a massive mm-hmm. way, I mm-hmm. guess. I it was uh, it's just both it's that thing again it's both and I and, and in some ways some personality things that I would that I wouldn't really like I don't want any feel I don't want to like a a part of me would just feel every day just like really lucky man lucky just lucky and because I think that other people could be doing other things all the time, they could be like listening to Elvis or something, they don't really need to bother with it, with us, but... And then there's another part of me that probably isn't, wasn't as, as soulful about it, and would be like, like, I would, why be number one, you know what I mean? And two, two's alright, but why be number one, you know what I mean? And it's things like that that I'm just a bit like, hmm, mm. it's, not, it's not really... You know, I, but I guess when it really comes down to it all, I guess whether it was going to be number two or number fucking 52 or whatever, it, it totally succeeded in a way that we started the walk, we completed the walk, and we felt, we felt like, the, you know, if you start the walk, you complete the walk. When you're doing that, it's like there's a fire and you just throw a bucket of ice on the thing and then another one and the fire just dies down. And when you start in the walk, there is a fire then when you complete, there's just something that just feels washed away and you just mm. feel mm. totally immaculate or something and you feel just everything's just, just, everything's just feels right kind of thing. And that's the way it felt when we finished the album and looking at the artwork and looking at the track listing and looking at the all the, the balance and all the, the lyrics and all the songs. Everything just seemed to fit and that feeling, even if the album was to go blah 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 anywhere, 
maybe that would have been a disappointment. I'd have been disappointed probably for maybe, you know, my sister and people that walked with the band and all that, but but it already totally, for me, it was, the intentions were a lot more innocent and pure when we, when we started out. And the reason why we'd done a lot of the songs really, actually was quite innocent intentions and we were just wanting to make that album kind of thing. Mm. But but then again, I think when, when, when you're, even at awards things and all that as well, it's the same things that you've never really been thinking about or considering before, but there's a certain side to your nature that probably can can like grow in a good way and in a bad way as well, I think. And you can start to think about quite childish things that don't actually fucking matter. And the childish things that probably don't, they don't allow a record to last in time, really. It's not mm. this weird award or it's not like this thing here or this showbiz thing there or whatever. But I think when you're just in that every day, that world kind of thing, you know, and people, that's what people are talking to you about, then it's a, it's a bit like, you think, I want to beat Metallica, and it's stupid. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's good, but I think that your, your personality get a wee bit warped at times. It's important, that's, you need to, it needs to in life, you know what I mean? Whether it's, you know what I mean, and get, things need to get a bit distorted, I think, and then I think how that, that sort of would go away, and then how you see things after that, it's, I think it's just a part of fucking evolving or something, you know what I mean? I was going to kind of ask you about that, you know, and obviously the album came out, it went platinum, went to number two, you were Mercury nominated, but you're saying there about how your perceptions start to get warped a little bit, mm-hmm. and when success comes your way, I mean, you, you did have a bit of a difficult time in the kind of years after that album came out, and do you think that's because of kind of the speed of how things had happened? You know, there's some quite well publicised things that happened. We don't necessarily need to reference I, what they were. I but. don't think it was probably the speed of how things happened. I think it's probably it could be just for when I was born, and I think this growing up, there's certain things that you experience, there's certain things that shape the wild nature that you've got, or the personality that you've got. You know, and. And then when you're put in certain positions and, and you're, you're, you're in a certain time in your life, it, I think things just sort of, uh, just that wild nature I think can, can really, can get, can grow, grow bigger kind of thing. And, and I think that I'd maybe find then, I think just a wee bit like, maybe I can describe it as like, you kind of like, you're just walking about maybe five, feet behind yourself all the time. It's like you're, you know what I mean? You're like kind of there all the time. You're not really just right in. Mm. Here you feel like you, can I? But I think that's just, I mean, it's probably quite, it makes sense in a way. You know, I think also, you're right though, I think it is a rapid change, I think. Uh, How you view the world, you know? How How you view the world even from being uh, completely anonymous and co- completely invisible and, co- and with nobody's expectation in any way on you and your past and your life or anything. And that really changing, like, after a few gigs or something, then that, that, that changed to a much different thing. And I think that a part of it is probably as well, it's... I think a part of it is, like, you, you've... A part of it, like, you know, my mum's always believed in all that. You've, my family's always been, like, really amazing and all that, but like, I think that, um, I think that when kids come up to you and they connect with a song the way you've wrote it, and I've not wrote the song being Ziggy Stardust, character, but I've wrote it for, it's me, you know what I mean, so it feels like really even more in a personal way that somebody's connected with an idea that I thought that I've had or whatever, and I think when that, when somebody does that, it's quite, I think I, I I would say, well, if I'm me, then that's maybe going to let them down because mm. I'm only me. How can I? They if they believe in me like that, it's like, I don't know if if I'm me, then that's going to let somebody down. That's what you can, and it's not even you don't even say say things to yourself that that clearly. It's more of just a subconscious sort of a feeling. It sounds like you're almost second-guessing yourself all the time. 
when you're in that. Oh, way, I mean, it's not. It's not. I think second guess. I think it's even beyond that. I think it's like. Uh, I, well, it's, it is. It's, it's. It's just. I think it's. I think it's it's not such a bad thing to feel that because it's like if somebody shows this mad belief in you, for you just naturally to say, you fucking should, because. You've came to the right fucking place, man. <laughs> I'm that thing. I don't really know if I would want to be that person anyhow. And I know that's. I don't really know if I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that sure. I don't want to be uncertain either. So, but like I think that that it would just be my uh, a feeling in here that, and I don't mean even that you would completely be a different person. Mm. But I think there's a difference. There's a difference between now and then, and I think now there's still people that come to the shows that are, you know, just so full of love or belief for that thing. And But now I don't think it, it confuses me as much. I don't think that I believe it to say, well, I am that thing, but I think there's just a part of me that I'll just sort of a quite, I don't know, just try and reflect some love back with them. And, and be honest with them and say that I feel lucky, you know what I mean, and thanks and all this kind of thing. And but know that I don't need to. I know that whatever I've, whatever I've got or not got, that is enough. But I think it's it's be. I don't know. Maybe it'd be weird if I always just had that sort of a arm enough. That's, mm, mm. I don't think that's me. I don't think I'm the kind of person that would never doubt myself or that would never feel fear creeping into what I do or insecurity or doubt I think I would but um, when but you look back on that time as well do you think it's weird, is it weird to read about yourself in the press because at the time I got the sense there was a kind of a point where your album came out went platinum you were kind of um, you were everyone's favourite band and then it seemed like the narrative seemed to change a couple of years later and it mm. was all it was focusing more on things like, you know, uh, the, the alleged overdose at Coachella, you know, the mm. point where you were supposed to have gone missing. Mm. But when you speak to people now, it's like, well, you weren't missing. You were, people mm. knew where you were. It was kind of, it was probably a joke that someone had said and it was blown out of proportion. How, how was that side of the success? How did you find that kind of dealing with that, where you're reading about yourself and maybe reading things that, that weren't true? Or even if they were true, it's quite intrusive. I, d- I will, I just understood that that was just a part of being in the band and the interest that was in the band, I guess. I, I understood that and I, and but I guess and I never really cared about I never really cared about I never really cared about kind of myself that much, but it wasn't but I think it's more might sound like the most boring thing in the world, I'll really know that rock and roll, but like I think that when it comes to how my family feel and the closeness that I've got with them, or me looking at them, and if I can see worry in them or whatever, you know what I mean. It's like I wouldn't compromise that for anything really. And whether it's showbiz of me being in a band or yeah, I was a bit quite carefree <laughs> or wreck. I don't know whatever the word would be, but but I think that for them, I, I could maybe see that with them, and I, I think that but I just. I just wouldn't really compromise that now for fuck all and um, but I mean it's like probably anything, anything that you probably read about a person like but on a personal level there can even be truth in it but there's probably just so much more uh, complexity to the, a different angle if you look at it that way or that mm-hmm. way you know what I mean but so I understand it's just showbiz. I mean, Daddy's Gone was like about my three minute song about snapshot that is say my father's like legacy. But the thing, the truth is, that's just showbiz and there's there's so much other com- complicated things and reasons why and how and all that, you know what I mean? That's but that's just the way it goes, isn't it? And in the end, to be honest with you. I guess what you come down to the, is a bottom line. How do you feel about it now? How do you feel about the whole thing? Do you feel like there's something that's missing that you never got to say or you never felt like you never it, it stopped too soon or 
And uh, to be honest with you, I just feel so lucky, man. And I feel so like, proud that I've had the chance to be like party and involved with these songs. No, my songs, other people's songs. And mm. like, you know, it's like having wee cats and dogs and people knowing them, people loving the wee things. They're not, it's not the pet owner. It's not the pet owners fucking, oh, whippy do it's me. It's not, it's them. And it really is like with songs. It's not bullshit, it's like, you really, these songs, are, they're their own little things and sometimes these songs through the years can become a wee bit more strange to you as you see a different picture mm. when you're looking at these songs and then they can become more familiar or you can discover a new thing, a new side to these songs or whatever. Um, and I'm just really, really proud to have had the chance to be a part of them, can I, you know what I mean? I'm lucky. And I guess to fast forward to the to the now kind of ten years on, um, I've got to say I wasn't aware there was a new album on the way. I knew you were touring this, but mm. there's a new record on, mm. on, on the way. So oh, yeah. does that mean that this kind of signals, you know, there's been a five year gap between uh, late when the TV turns to static mm. to this. Mm -hmm. Does this kind of signal that that Las Vegas are, are kind of back? There's going to be a new album mm -hmm. touring. Where where does this kind of go next? Uh. I never noticed I guess this is the first time I've ever made my fourth album. So I don't know how this goes. It's like almost like the, this is, although I've made an album before and stuff, but it always feels like you're just, it's, it's just a new thing that you've never, you don't know how it'll go. You've never made a fourth album. You don't know how you're going to feel. You just kind of like hope that you're going to feel really proud or good about the things that you're saying on the album or the songs, the expression. That's what I really hope for. And I think that most of the, the energy is just, it's all spent on the fucking, the expression being true to like the initial wee idea that you've had. And make, when it's a wee idea, making it a tangible vibration in, in the speakers, it's, everything's like, everything's hanging by a fucking thread, man. It's like until that last, and like drop a paint is on the fucking canvas and it's right. You're just you're just splashing around man like fucking really? Wait fleeting brief moments I control. <laughs> but and then when it's complete so that and then, and then it's complete, the business side of it mm. fuck knows because you can't even begin to even think about the fucking any any how it's got received, how it's gonna Cause there's too much fucking other shit to worry about about like uh, the looking at the world and that that world being you lose your fuck. I mean, even the last album, it was like I freaking out with Denise. Like when I phoned Denise, I was like, Denise, I, I don't know if the the white is white enough on the album cover. It was just black and white, you know. And a day I kind of lose health, uh, and, and I lose health over the the music and the band and all that, but. Mm. That isn't under the that isn't with understanding that the world is going to give a shit. That's for, just for me, you know what I mean? Because it just it means it means that much just for me. Not even how anybody else is going to look at it. I think some people are like that's brave if you put that out and how it's going to be received. It's not that you disregard other people's feelings on what you do. It's just that when you're making it, you you were just everything was fucking spent actually just trying to get it to a place that. Mm. It feels right, kind of thing. Has it got a name yet? Yeah. Uh, it's got to be called Godspeed. And then stylistically, I'm wondering where where's it going to go? Because I've always thought there's a very there's, there's a Las Vegas sound that is unarguably Las Vegas. But you kind of went from the debut album sound to something I think maybe grander, maybe a little bit more synth driven in the mm. second. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, static. I think it came more back towards the debut album. So I'm mm. wondering. Where, where, where do you think you'll take it? Where are you taking this? I think with the first album, I've, I've kind of thought about it and I've been like, you know, why would I instinctively go with this, go with this place? And I think with the first album, it was the way it was, black and white, whatever it was. And then second album was, it was supposed to be like, if you eat too many bars of chocolate, it's just sickening, you know what I mean? And I was just wanting to push it and push it into that way. It's just, it's not organic, it is sickening. But that was for whatever reason. And I think even with the third one, it's a wee bit, even with the songs, it's sort of a, like, supposed to be one person just telling a 
my thought to somebody else and it's almost like uh, and it's always been kind of like Las Vegas, Las Vegas but then with that one it's like first album, second album but then a smaller square, a smaller space or something like that with that one where Aye, there's a sort of a smaller lo-fi kind of nature to it, but with this one, this album's um, well, this album's a different thing to what we've done before. This album's like it's like a it's all the songs are set in one night, um, and a character leaves the house, and uh, the character gets in his car and just drives, and um, there's, I guess, different things that the character would would think about or that would be exposed to, and you know where the character's going or why and how, and all these things. So it's a, I've never we've never made an album like that's like that. You know where it's everyone's just uh, all the songs are just in this one drive, one night kind of thing. It almost sounds like, I mean, stylistically, it'll sound like it's like a grand don't come for free by the streets, where it's that's that's a complete story from beginning to end Aye. with a twist at the end. Do you, and again, I'm not going to sit here and suggest that you're going to start sounding like Mike Skinner. But, <laughs> no, uh, no, that's a really interesting concept that it's that it's that it's all set in one night. Probably, no, there's only one Mike Skinner. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, there's probably like. Fuck no, I don't know what other eye, but that's, I, I really liked that album. I really, I really liked that. It was, uh, cause that's the one that's like, uh, it goes on holiday and all that. Then there's a part of it that's. That's part where he goes on holiday. Aye, so basically yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a, like a. Narrative. There's a, aye, narrative. Because he loses a thousand quid and he's right. at the end. Aye. Spoiler for the listeners here if you haven't heard, uh, the streets grand don't come for free. It had fallen down the back of a two. That's the brilliant twist. Oh, I at love the end. that. that Does your great. album have a bit of a twist at the end? No, it's 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 really, it's really different for that. Uh, I guess in in terms of the 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 the, the time as well, it being like I don't know what that was set over a certain, but this is just a one night. So you've not really, I guess, it's a completely different thing in terms of probably how the things has to be structured. For it to be the one that you know what I mean, um, but I mean, yeah, actually, is there any other albums that's been like? I I don't know any albums that has been set in one night. I don't know any, but I, this is a then I've no thought. I don't know any other albums that's been set in one night. I want to do that. Uh, I just I've not really that smart to be able to think like that, but it's just the way it's worked to it. But I was just wondering if there's any or what other albums it's like sort of a. None that I can think of. Listeners, get in touch if you can think of any. So I guess, I guess, yeah, we'll uh, wrap up there. James, thanks for talking to us today. No bother. Looking forward to hearing the it album. Was, really it was a pleasure to see you again. Yeah, and you. That was awesome, Rick. What was it like seeing them ten years on? Yes, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I think the thing to say, James didn't really like he'd aged a bit. Uh, the drummer had changed actually, so it used to be Caroline McKay, and now it's a girl called Joanna. Or I think I got a, I pronounced her name wrong. It's like Joanna or something like that. So I said I <laughs> so I, I barreled over and went hi hi <laughs> jo- hi, jo- hi Johanna. And then James was quite quick to say no, it's it's Joanna. <laughs> oh, um, and yeah, just I mean the, the, when I when I interviewed them ten years ago, they were they were great guys and they were kind of uh, they were great guys again. So yeah, it was it was it was just great to sit down with James. Um, how about his personality? Because I think when you you text me as soon as you come out of the interview, I was actually yeah I was I was uh, having a few wines with a friend in Nottingham at the time, and I, I remember thinking, oh Rick's probably at this moment, and Rick's probably interviewing um, James from Las Vegas, um, thinking oh we'll, I know he'll probably text me as soon as he as soon as it finishes, which you did, um, and I, I, what I loved about it was that I was sat there in a bar and I thought and, I, and I, the text came through and you said I think he just bared his soul, <laughs> I was like. Wow, what happened? Like, I'm quite excited. I think you were a little bit freaked out by it, weren't you? It was. Well, it was quite a candid chat, you know, and, and I maybe hope that kind of comes across in in what, you, mm. what you've just heard. You know, I think um, we were chatting after the interview, and he said, you know, you really kind of made me think there. I think maybe we touched on some of his feelings around leaving football, around how the band formed, um, you know, revisiting that debut album. I think maybe some things that he maybe hadn't 
thought about for a while. You know, you have to remember this was only the second or third date of the tour, and yeah, you've probably not yeah. done much press yet. So yeah. they're you know, probably getting asked these questions quite a lot now. But um, but yeah, it, it was it was one of those interviews. It was quite an intense interview. It was quite an intense mm. um, interview. I remember when we went to do it. We did the interview backstage at the venue, and we we were putting this. Uh, little kind of dressing room um, and he said he feels like he's going in for like an interview with the police or something he oh, said no. it felt like a bit, a bit of an interrogation <laughs> it must be quite terrifying especially if you, as you say he hasn't done it for a decade or, or hasn't done it in this style for a decade and he's thinking about the early days and I'm kind of reflecting on everything that's happened and there have been some pretty dark things that have happened haven't there over that time um, which I, I don't I think you touched on in the interview but I don't think you really want obviously didn't really want to talk it that much talk about it that much and then obviously um, you can kind of kind of hear at the at the end when you don't hear them coming in but um the manager came in didn't they and to stop the interview because you only had 45 minutes i think that's quite a long time but i guess you know the conversation was flowing and there's more you wanted to to ask about yeah there's, there? there's, there's, a, there's a lot to get into 45 minutes you know again because it was about you know this this is going five years before the band even put their album out mm. their debut album and then the subsequent 10 years you know where they have put you know like you say two other albums out where james has had some quite um, you know, well publicised. Um, uh, you know, problems in his personal life, the stuff around going missing before the Mercury Prize, uh, the stuff around the over the alleged overdose um, uh, around when they played at the Coachella Festival in America, um, and other kind of tabloidy stuff that, to be honest, if you want to go and Google, you can find. But it didn't feel like the appropriate time no. to re- to really go to really cut too deep in, no. into some of that stuff. And also, that's not what this podcast about, really. The podcast, we know, we've said it from a very early stage. It's it's kind of celebrating things, and we don't want to make people feel bad or or, or talk about something they don't really want to talk about. You know, it's always good to to kind of open up that Pandora's box slightly because you get a really interesting interview. But it's not really the route we want to go down. I don't think so. No, and and, and I think um, I think what maybe what's good about uh, the way that it, that it kind of panned out is I think there's there's plenty more to go at and and the, the nature of this podcast I think we may well get uh, James or, or someone else from the band on, on the podcast again to kind of come out go over the stuff that we simply didn't have um, time to go into but I think the main thing for me really excited to hear this uh, this fourth album um, uh, you know the fact that they're doing something a little bit different with this that, that, it's, that the whole theme is it's a night in the life of, of one character you know I, I mentioned obviously to James that reminded me a little bit of a grand don't come for free by the streets oh, but yeah, the reality yeah. of that is that you know, Grand Don't Come For Free was, was run over, I think, a course of a few weeks or even months. You know, it's it's, it's how this guy loses his thousand quid, um, you know, falls out with his girlfriend, then finds a thousand quid, um, you know, a few a few kind of weeks later. Whereas what they're talking about is a story of a night in the life. You know, probably yeah, they've yeah. almost probably got half an eye on something maybe a little bit more creative in terms of a film or a, or a, or a kind of a, a long kind of video or whatever. Um, mm. So really can't wait to, to hear that. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I, I, there's probably pe- some people listening to this now who, who might never have heard of this band before. Um, we, we, we might have some younger listeners on here, I'm, I'm sure we do. Um, so go and have a listen to it when it comes out. But also I kind of urge you to go back and listen to their first three albums beforehand as well to, to kind of really get into it and see the difference. And Rick, you said that they're still touring, aren't they, this week? Yeah, so, so this this tenth anniversary tour they kicked off last week. I think they're about four dates in now when this goes out. So, uh, yeah, still touring across the UK for another week or two. So if you get chance um, to go and see them, do do go and see them. I think that's the other thing to say. They really were kind of uh, kind of back on form. You know, this is a band that a few years ago got bottled at a festival when things were kind of going wrong. Every night of the tour, whether you know whether it's the Brighton date or the London date, um, that my my old pal Jamie Crossan went to. Um, the, the reports are saying that they really are kind of bang back on form. They're really kind of back on it. So do urge you to go and go and check them out live. Cool. Well, let's leave it there then. Um, we've got, as I said this before, we've got another episode, Arctic Monkeys Side B, coming out this week as well. So also go and listen to that. If you haven't listened to the first one, go back and listen to that one as well. Um, some interesting stories about when Rick first interviewed the band, got lot, lots of years ago now, um, and kind of what happened subsequently after that. But yeah, so we are on, um, you can get us now, download it on iTunes, Spotify, and we're also on Audio Boom. Um, go back and also have a look at the Enemy article. We we were, we were we were in NME last week on, on launch day, which was pretty exciting for us. Um, so go and have a look at that as well. Um, and yeah, uh, you can also get us on our social channels if you want to join in the conversation. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Demo Tapes Pod, and you can email us on demotapespod at gmail.com. Um, we really want to hear from you guys. If you've got any suggestions for future episodes, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And I'm going to start shilling my own Twitter account as well, which is Rick, R I C K underscore J <laughs> underscore uh, Martin. Um, and 
can you find me on Instagram? Probably, but we'll we'll work that out. If you, no, uh, in, Instagram, Rick's more Twitter, I'm more Instagram. If you want to find me, my personal one on Instagram is a lot of shameless, funny selfies because Rick hates them. Um, I am at, I am Sarah Jane Kemp. But yeah, thanks for listening again. Um, and if you're new, I hope you listen to the next few episodes we've got in store for you. But uh, yeah, also if you want to leave us a five star review on iTunes, it really does help us. Um, so yeah, and, and kind of helps us direction. Basically saying spread the word. Yeah, please do. All right, well, until next time, see ya. Yeah, see you later.